Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are still in the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 82. Wow, it seems like every week that we come back, the summary gets longer and longer with all the many stories that are packed within the four Gospel accounts. So uh, bear with me as I pick and choose some of these many stories that we talked about last week. Um, We had a woman that was praising Jesus and the womb that that bore him and Jesus kind of flipped the script and said like actually like it's more important to be focused on the blessing that comes from one who like hears the word of God and keeps it like Mary my mother knows that she's blessed but like the the more important thing is faith and faithfulness towards my father uh, which is really cool a really cool picture um, and we saw Lots of other pictures about the light that we have as followers and this knowledge that we have from God and not hiding it, but but bringing it out into the open for others to see and experience. Um, and kind of that illustration of good eye versus bad eye, but with light being in your body. Um, and then we, we move from there to Jesus dining with a Pharisee, and Jesus was getting on the ball and criticizing a a large group of the Pharisees with how they look like they're well-kempt in terms of spiritual obedience and faithfulness on the outside, but there's all kinds of hypocrisy and corruption and uh, doing things for the wrong motives on the inside, and Jesus calling this Pharisee and us as readers to clean the inside of our hearts and our spiritual condition first so that that shows authentic change on the on the outside as well um when we then move from there to a section on a series of woes that he did that we summarized and then thousands of people began to gather to hear jesus to see him um and again he talks about not being concerned about what can people do to your body on the outside but but think about the weightiness that God has on on our spiritual condition and reality in the age to come that we need to put that in the forefront of our minds and importance. Yeah, that eternal destiny stuff. It's a big deal. Most people, they they get that uh, almost childlike vision of heaven or hell, but it's there's so much more to it. And yeah, it's a big deal. It wasn't all doom and gloom, though, because he... He oh, said no. that he has all of our hairs numbered and we're worth more than lots more sparrows. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, uh, where are we? We're still in Luke. Uh, we're going to do, I guess, stay with him for a little bit anyway. In chapter 12, we're looking at verses 16 through 21. And you know what, Samuel, we're going to get a parable. So, buckle up. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, 
I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hmm, that's a good, I mean, that's like good imagery in that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. This parable, and we may as well just say it, like so many others, it's speaking of the kingdom. But it isn't so much describing it as we've seen in a number of them before. This one seems to be more aimed or more concerned with how one might attain the kingdom. So that makes it kind of interesting. So you got this rich farmer guy. and. You know, before you get all us and them and, you know, thinking whatever, he's the bad. Okay, he represents any one of us. That's that's important that you see that, okay? And I guess maybe the other thing is it isn't so much about his status, the fact that he's rich. That That's not the point. The, it's about his attitude toward things. Now, in this case, he is rich, he's having a great year, maybe more wealth than he's ever known, true, but he has this question, what shall I do with it? And this is the important part, he chooses poorly. He chooses to store it up for himself. And the funny thing is, he actually goes to great personal expense just to try to store it up. He tore down his bards and built larger ones, which is kind of weird. Wouldn't you have kept the ones you had and just built others? But whatever. He he goes to great expense. Now, the small barns, they should probably represent for us something like our basic needs. And the larger barns would represent greed or covetousness or something like that. So he chooses to secure his own future of comfort and ease. And and that is the the essence of covetousness. It's an intense an intense selfish desire for wealth or possessions and and now I know that we probably at least here in America we we probably often think of it as desiring what other people have. And I mean, it is that, that's included, but it's not only that. It's it's this desiring of stuff, period. And so, got to remember in the parable, this guy, he represents us. So the thing is, though, Jesus gives us a twist. And after all of this preparation, after all of this gathering, the dude just dies. <laughs> so so all of his work, all of his focus, his planning, his effort, etc., all of it 
resulted in a net gain of, let me do a quick calculation here, zero. In fact, as things go, somebody else is going to get all of his stuff. In fact, they're going to get all of his work, all of his focus, all of his planning, all of his effort, etc. And think about that, Samuel. I'm sure you have done things. You get kind of excited about them, something you're interested, whatever. You put in a lot of effort, you do all this stuff, and you enjoy it. You you do it because, I mean, you know, it's a quote unquote, it's for you. It's something you're interested in. We've all done that. But I want you to imagine any of those same things and imagine doing all of the work, all of the focus, all of the planning, all the effort, knowing that it has nothing to do with you. You're only doing it for someone else. Kind of be hard to get as excited and work as hard and do as much, right? It just wouldn't be the same. So back to the story, there's an old adage. And it turns out to be true. You can't take it with you. And of of course, it's true if the it, the thing that you can't take with you, is the worldly possessions and wealth and stuff like that. You just can't. It's fact. But Jesus is offering a way that you can take it with you. And it's if you are being rich toward God, if you're storing treasure in Heaven. So you're not really taking it with you. You're storing it up for when you get there, sort of, so to speak. But just understanding that it's it's a different kind of economy. And I mean, just as sort of a a day to day life kind of lesson, good lesson in here. Just recognizing, you know what, you may not have tomorrow. When when you're living, would you just live in the now? I know I do it. I bet I bet a lot of people listening to the podcast do it. We think about, well, I want to do this. I want to get this ready. I want, to, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to be this, do that, whatever. But we think a lot about tomorrow. And it's not that we need to be irresponsible and not think about things at all. That would be bad also. But you know, try to live in the moment. What's another of those old adages? Uh, stop and smell the roses along the way, right? That kind of stuff. So anyway, there's that. And now the thing is, Samuel, I don't know if you remember, because it's actually been a long time ago for us now. <laughs> we, we talked about a lot of this stuff back during the Sermon on the Mount. And we also talked about it when we were going through the kingdom parables. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just as an example, you might look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. That was an example. Uh, kingdom parables, you might look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. That was another example. And in a way, this points back to your your uh, summary or whatever. This is also similar to what he told the woman who had cried out. Remember his response was, hey, the real blessed ones are the ones who hear and keep God's word, but it's more specific. It's, it's an important aspect of how we keep God's word. We need to give. We need to be givers. We need to be generous. We need to have the open hand not always trying to store things up. And again, nobody's saying, hey, just be completely blind to the future and irresponsible and not take care of your family and stuff. It's not that, but it's it's a general attitude. You need to be a giver. And 
again, I know we've said this a lot and we're going to keep saying it. This is the essence of the end goal of Torah. This is a form of justice. And and it's an important part of justice. We're caring for the less fortunate. You're caring for the downcast. You're caring for the downtrodden. And I'm just betting any of us, we're it's quick and easy to see an injustice or to recognize an injustice, right? You look around in the world and you go, well, here's just a, 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 an easy extreme example. Here's this guy and he has bazillions of dollars. And then here's this other guy who can hardly even eat. And there's an injustice in that. Now, the answer, and now I, it's, this is going to sound political, and I don't mean for it to, but this is a truth. The answer to an injustice like that is not to forcefully take from the rich guy and give it to the poor. And I should probably offer some apologies to Robin Hood there real quick. But that's not the answer. You don't take from the rich and give it to the poor. In in this whole God world, well, that's just theft. It's It's like a form of violence against a person. God doesn't like that either. The answer lies in mankind, a man even, living up to his true self, the thing that he was created to be, actually being in the image of God. It's when this man chooses to give rather than store up. Now, I get it. There are going to be some guys who are worth bazillions and they're not going to give up much of anything. But that's not our problem. And we still can't run in there and force him to be godlike. We have to, we have to do a better job of teaching and encouraging, not forcing. And in in this whole scenario, I mean, you never know. You don't know what your life's going to hold. You might be, you know, scraping just to get your next meal right now. Ten years from now, you might be the guy with bazillions. You don't know. But here's the thing. The best thing you can do is just worry about you. That is what is appropriate. And again, we teach, we encourage, we try to spread this knowledge. This is this is how to be good, but you need to just take care of yourself, uh, especially when you start getting the idea that you're just going to force someone to be the way you think they ought to be. That's just badness waiting to happen. Yeah, that's super good. It's super convicting. It's it's almost unnerving to think about the amount of covetousness that's present in my life, and I'm not even aware of it until passages like this that bring it to the forefront. And so it makes it's a it's a real reality check for me to think about where my priorities lie and how I'm spending and devoting my time. Um, and I hope that yeah. other listeners are feeling the same uh, level of conviction. Um, I did want to ask yeah. really quickly, you had said that Jesus' twist in the story was the dude dies. Do you get that from verse 20 of this passage where he says, 
this night your soul is required of you? Is that just another way of saying that you're going to die? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I did. I kind of took that for granted. That's exactly what that means. Yeah, this guy, he, he was working so hard storing up all that stuff. And just when he was like, ah, I finally made it. Boom, he's dead. <laughs> Somebody else gets all his stuff. <laughs> it's so true to life. But, you know, Samuel, the thing you were talking about, it's so good. And if we're being honest now, okay, you and I, we're here in America. We're expecting that, you know, probably the majority of people who are going to see and know and hear about the podcast probably going to be in America. Well, guess what? We live in just abundance and wealth and richness and just, I mean, we've got everything, even even the poor people here really don't have it all that bad. The ones who really, really have it bad are usually those who, they're actually suffering some sort of, uh, I would say, like a mental condition or something like that. For everyone else, their time of being super, super down on their luck and struggling even for a meal and all that kind of stuff is usually short-lived, you know? And I, I get it. I'm generalizing, and I'm not. It, there are those, but it it is so easy for us to be like the rich man in this parable, not even recognize how we're not really being godlike or whatever. But you know, whatever. Uh, it's kind of the uh, those who uh, have been given greater responsibility. You know, more is required of them, and so you know, we're just we just have to work harder. Have to work harder. Be more godlike. Yeah, and I don't think that we should walk away from this thinking that the solution or what Jesus is trying to advocate for is almost like this Buddhist level self denial, almost to the point of inf- inflicting harm on ourselves or making our lives intentionally miserable because we have more and other people's have less because I read some stuff in rabbinic thought that there's there's a fulfilling of a mitzvah or a commandment that if God has bestowed good things on you and that you don't like reach up and grasp them to experience them and receive them that like when you die and you give your account before God he's going to ask you like what about all of the blessings that I gave you that you did not part- partake in? So, like, there's a balance there as well to be able to experience the good things of life, receive the things that God has bestowed you, but not let them turn into an idol like what this story is is portraying, too. Yeah, and that I, now I'm totally going to blow up because I can't remember what it is, but there's that, uh, I think it's William Wallace quote, or maybe it wasn't a real quote, it was just in the movie or something like that, but it's something to the effect of, you know, uh, every man, I, something like every man's alive, but few men ever truly live or something like that, right? Uh, whatever it is, you get the idea. It, and you're right, we have to experience and live life. It's all a gift to us. So yeah, self-denial isn't the thing, but it's it's uh it's caring for others, you know, being content with you know, just the good things that meet your needs. And that that that's that's enough. So yeah, I I don't know. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So Jesus is telling that parable and then he he just like keeps on flowing 
doesn't even really give anybody time to react. He goes on. Luke tells us in, uh, let's see, this is chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, just uh, almost like a side note here, some of you in your translation back in verse 39, you may have an extra little bit inserted in there. Yours may read something like, uh, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. It fits well, which doesn't really tear up any of the interpretation or anything like that. Uh, there's just controversy over whether it belongs or not. So anyway, there's that. But, okay, what are we talking about here? It seems like kind of a big shift. We went from greed or, or covetousness to now we're, we're talking about, you know, a guy being away, whatever. I read this, this from FFOZ. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Daniel Lancaster in one of his uh, Torah Club books or something. But anyway... When you have these stories, these parables about somebody going away and things happening and then they come back, they fit into a category. He called them journey parables. And just as a general rule, they are about personal responsibility in the absence of direct supervision. And I thought that that was just such a great summary of these types of parables. So that's what we're dealing with here. And what what do we talk about? He starts out saying, hey, you need to be dressed for action. A, a, a different translation, maybe a better, or maybe something that sounds more Bible-ish or biblical, it would be if they said, gird your loins. Now, that's not a phrase that we, we use, right? We don't even know what that means. A lot of people get them confused and they think the loins are somewhere lower than they are, right? It's just above your waist, Right. It's, you know, everybody wore garments in this day, both men and women. They wore garments that were long. And so when you were going to do, you know, normal, practical things, maybe you were going to travel, work, I, I, I don't know, maybe you're going to fight in a war, I don't know, whatever it was, they would gather up the long parts and they would tuck them under, you know, something that was belt-like. Uh, we would probably call it a sash, but it was around their waist. And so... Uh, there was nothing immodest in how this was done, because again, it was both men and women, nothing immodest. And um, just to give you an idea, this isn't super explicit or anything, but just so you could understand how this is long history, Samuel, why don't you read from Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. 
I'm so glad you brought this up because this is where my brain went when you read this passage. (laughs) Um, In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So in that passage, Samuel, what is the basic idea? What is God telling these people to do, generally speaking? What, what is he saying about their attitude in this moment in time? That they need to be prepared to respond at a moment's notice when God declares it's time for them to go. Exactly. Exactly. And so, in the beginning of this parable, when he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, well, that's the kind of thing that he's talking about. That's So, So number one, we need to, wow, that, that needs to be us. We need to have a, a different sort of attitude toward God and Jesus's return and all of that. That's a thing. Uh, he talks about this wedding feast. Now, I read a lot of different things about this, and some of them were suggesting that this is an allusion to the great banquet of the Messianic era. Now, that sounds good, and I definitely can, can see the, the connection, but given the way the parable's laid out, I don't know, for me, that would be kind of disappointing, super disappointing, actually, because I don't want the master coming for me only after all the festivities are done right? I want him to come and get me for the festivity. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it matches up well with the Messianic banquet. I think it's much more likely he's just referring to things that were ordinary, common in this day, current things, ordinary custom kind of things. And so when we look at that, you've got two people, they're betrothed. The general way that it worked is They agree to marry, and then the man goes off and he tries to prepare a place for them to live. You know, it's usually like some sort of addition or attachment onto the the father's house or something like that. But anyway, once it's completed, he would return for her. And it's only at that point that they would have a wedding, and the wedding was followed with a big feast. We, you know, modern times in America, we'd call that the reception. But they have this big feast, and then... When everything is done, the man would bring his new wife back to the place that he had prepared, their new home. Now, that's all interesting, but, you know, back to the real point, staying dressed, keeping your lamps burning, uh, be men who are waiting. In this parable, Jesus's listeners, which, I mean, we could very easily translate that to just us, okay, They're the servants. Now, just imagine the scenario on such a special occasion. You know, they should have been and and would wanted to have been ready to receive their master and his new bride. No matter how long the wedding and the feast and everything, no matter how long that all went. Because it's a special occasion. On such a special occasion, you want everything to be just right. You'd want everyone to be ready to serve at a moment's notice, or even, uh, to use a word that you just used a minute ago, Samuel, to be ready in advance, prepared. Notice the word pre is in there. I don't know. It's pretty good. Anyway, in this case, in, in this little story, it's late into the night. 
And we might even, you know, if you're trying to extrapolate a little bit, you might say that dawn might represent the coming of the kingdom, whatever. It's very late at night, and just as night sort of, and I'm, I bet you've all experienced this, it, it beckons you to sleep. There's a, there's a point. It just, I don't know what it is, man. Your, your body is just like, nope, I ain't doing it. I got to sleep. Can't stay up anymore. Well, in the same way, we could step back and generally look at the world and say that the world, in some sense, beckons us to slumber, to sleep in a way. And we have to fight that. Now, he's talking about it in this specific story, but we can apply it generally to life. We've got to fight against the world's influence that wants us to sleep and to slumber on the important things, the good things, the charity, the justice, the mercy, etc. But even after all this, again, Jesus adds a twist. It's like, it's like he's related to Chubby Checker. In this parable, do you even know who that is, Samuel? No idea. Oh, my goodness. Chubby Checker. Come on, baby. Let's do the twist. Ah, Anyway, that was funny. And hopefully everybody on the podcast is laughing hysterically. But anyway, in this parable, the master that we're talking about, okay, that would represent Jesus. And when he returns, we might think of that as sort of the 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 uh, inception of the the fullness of the kingdom, right? When that comes, he returns for the servants, uh, and th- that would be uh, the disciples, and hopefully that's us. He 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 needs to find them ready, and for the ones that he does find ready, this is so interesting. He will become the servant while they recline at table. And this is such a great image of the kingdom, that messianic banquet. So I know I kind of poo-pooed the idea that we were talking about that messianic banquet earlier, but it does it does give us the imagery of that messianic banquet now at this point when Jesus is serving. It's more of that kingdom reversal stuff. The last will be first, et cetera, et cetera. Now we haven't gotten there yet, but you you may if you've got any familiarity with the scriptures the new testament scriptures you might already also be thinking about when jesus washed his apostles feet it was that last passover seder and he was the servant and that was it was so out of the ordinary remember peter was like almost like angry no you will not do that to me <laughs> right and jesus is like dude chill it's important Let me do it. But again, and you've already said it, the real point of this parable, just like that earlier verse that you read, we must be, uh, the real point is readiness. We have to be willing to live in a state of readiness until he returns. Even when it seems long in coming, even when it's inconvenient, even when it means suffering, we have to live in complete loyalty, faithfulness, and service to the king our master, whatever you want to call it, no matter how long he is away. Those servants, the ones that remain awake and vigilant, they are the ones who are blessed. And side note, as we always say, nobody has an expectation of 
perfection, but it needs to be obvious and recognizable, the loyalty, the faithfulness, etc. And then, I mean, it's kind of funny, as if this wasn't enough, Jesus slips in another little mini parable. It's got a similar meaning. Well, I don't know. Some people also think that this scripture is out of place. I don't know. I think it kind of fits. But the master returning from his wedding is is now somehow replaced by a thief. And how's that for a brain twister? You know, in the parable, the thief represents Jesus. What? <laughs> That's weird, right? So you can see that they're not this literal thing, but they're, they're images and pictures, roles, if you will. Everybody knows that a thief is going to break in you know, when you're not around or when you're unable to to protect, it's unexpected. And of course, if if you, you know, a disciple, if you knew when the kingdom was going to break through, if you knew when Jesus was going to return, well, the same way you would do if you had some inside information that a thief was going to break into your house, you would make plans. You'd be there. You would be ready. That's the way you should be toward the kingdom. So continuing with, you know, the the real main point, we must be ever ready. That means living in, as we said before, complete loyalty and faithfulness and service to the king at all times in every aspect of our lives. And kind of a rare occurrence, Jesus actually gets explicit. He says, you also must be ready for the son of man. His return is going to be unexpected so it's, it's cool parables yeah that's so good um and it it takes me to the end of the scriptures um in revelation i think it's in 22 and i think he has more than one verse where he says it but i know in verse 7 of chapter 22 jesus says um behold i'm coming quickly and like that yeah. that sense of readiness and advance is present there too um and it just the first time i heard about this patriarchal image back in ancient biblical culture where a couple would get betrothed and then the husband to be would like that they would agree on the betrothal and then the man would leave to go prepare the house like you said but depending on how far away their respected families were, like this wasn't a time where, you know, you could just get somewhat instant messages back and forth about the status of things for, for the wife to be like, there was a, a sense of needing to be constantly ready as the bride to be because like she didn't know whether it was going to take a month or a year for her husband to be to get this house ready for them to move in together. So yeah. it just it really dawned on me well, the first time I heard that when Jesus talks about being ready because that that's what he's getting at. That it, it's not he's relating the his second return to something that's happening in his culture in that day, which is just really cool. Yeah, and that's, that's such a great reminder, Samuel, of, number one, I, I am such a fan of technology and all kinds of things. I love it. But, you know, you also have to recognize that it separates us from some of the realities of living on the earth. 
it, because it, it is so helpful and so convenient, we start to lose sight of such an ordinary thing like what you're talking about. Hey, he went away. There's no communication. You know, <laughs> he's just going to show up. That, that's pretty amazing. Because what would we do? Pick up our phone. Hey, I'm on my way. See you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't know. It's a great image. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I heard someone in the past say something that like it was, it was possible in that time for the husband to be to possibly show up in the middle of the night for the ceremony and that the, the bride and the bride's family needed to be ready to like have all the things in order to throw a party, even if it was in the middle of the night. Like, I don't know how, if that was exaggerated a little bit, but it just gives you the image that like, it didn't matter whether if it was normal business hours or when you were sleeping, like when the, when the groom arrived to come get his bride, like it was time to celebrate and to, and to have that, that special time together. Yeah, and that that's so good because again today we'd go. That's just rude. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, it's a different time, and we need to learn from it. Doesn't mean we have to become like it. It's not like that's the only way to live. But it, there's so much to gain from it. Some funny happens here, though. Samuel, check this out. Uh, we're going to continue in Luke chapter twelve. We're going to be looking at verses forty-one to forty-six. But listen, listen to the way this starts, especially, but this is good. It says, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Does that not just cheer you up? (laughs) Ouch! Some Hallmark-worthy material there. Yeah, that is rough. So, okay, so Jesus is telling these parables, and, you know, I mean, they're they're good. We got some good, I think, stuff out of them in our conversation. But then Peter's standing there. Peter's listening to all this, and I think it's so funny that he has this question. Were those parables for the apostles or for the whole crowd? So, you know, just trying to gather our bearings, uh, if we look back, in Luke's narrative, so let's let's look at Luke chapter 12, you go back to the beginning of chapter 12, and we see, okay, there were actually many thousands gathered. And we do seem to be in a continuation of that, so we do have big crowds. However, uh, Luke 
he specifically has Jesus speaking to the disciples round verse 22, Luke 12, 22. So here's Peter. Jesus is talking directly to them and he's listening. And so, I mean, you know, what thoughts are going through through his head? Maybe he's thinking they've already found the Messiah. So, you know, it must be for the crowds. He's not thinking of his return. He's thinking that he's just already here. And, you know, it, but he's still kind of messed up because it, it's like Jesus is talking at the disciples more than he is the crowd, and yet it seems like he's talking about stuff that's for them. Or maybe maybe he's recognizing the more uh, universal or general nature of what it is that Jesus is talking about, and he knows that, well, this should be for everybody, and so he's wondering you know, why is he, why does it feel like he's just talking to us when it seems like this really is appropriate for all? Or I don't know. It's hard to tell. I think, again, Peter represents a great example for all of us. Peter, he just asks. He has a question. He doesn't care if he might look stupid or whatever you might want to fill in the blank with. Peter just asks as opposed to staying quiet, possibly remaining confused. And we, as a general rule, I think, you know, I don't know if it's pride or, or, you know, whatever it is that leads to embarrassment or whatever it is, we are, we're quick to act like, no, I'm following you, I'm with you, whatever, when, when maybe we're not, Peter just asks, dude, what are you talking about? Is this for us or for them or what? What, what is it? Now, after such a great example, and Jesus pulls a fast one, and he doesn't really answer directly. <laughs> In fact, he answers with a question. But that shouldn't deter you. You should you should be quick to ask the question when you don't know. And in his question— That's true rabbinic fashion. That's right. It is. And that that's something that's hard for us to relate to. So for them, it was culturally good. But he doesn't just ask the question. He offers another parable. And this parable, you know, it seems to have— the same basic message about preparedness, you know, being ready. But if there is a difference, it seems that it's more specifically aimed at managers. Okay, so they're still servants, but these are the servants who their role in serving is more in in managing, not just managing the household, but managing the other servants. So, okay, there is a difference. Now, in this parable, uh, it's speaking of only one servant who's charged with caring for the other servants, but there's, there's no reason for us to limit it to that. And he's talking about feeding them. And I think, just to be fair, it, it, feeding them represents you know any other kind of care that they may be charged with. But if this manager, if he does his job well, well, there's a bit of a change in the result. Because he's a manager, because he's been given charge over things, if he does well, he'll be given charge over more. Now, depending on you and your life and whatever, you may or may not think of that as good news. In the context of this story, it's supposed to be good news. And you can think of a really great example is the story of Joseph. He, he is sold off into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house and he does his job well. And the ultimate end of that is that he is in charge of 
everything in Potiphar's house, except maybe, you know, like whatever the guy's going to eat or whatever. I mean, it's, and so that represents blessing and honor and goodness, okay? Now, the other question is, are we talking about uh, blessings in this life or responsibilities in this life? Or is this, are we talking about the coming kingdom? You know what? It's a really good question. And as long as we're not, you know, being too literal, thinking that this can only be about one guy or or thinking like Joseph in Egypt. I mean, first of all, there's 12 apostles standing around there listening at least. So anyway, good question. In this life or coming kingdom? And I would say that I lean toward, you know, both. <laughs> Same old story. We do it over and over as we're going through. But Here's, and this is important too, what if the manager doesn't do his job well? What if instead of actually caring for the other servants, he takes advantage of them? He mistreats them. Uh, in some way, he enriches himself. He abuses his power. Now, we could say, you know what? That was uh, pretty normal for the religious leaders in this day and time, first century Israel. Okay, but to be fair, is that also, isn't it true about all kinds of leaders all throughout history, including leaders right here now today, wherever it is you live? It's a, it, it's just a thing. It's It seems to be What's that phrase? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. You see it worked out in people all the time. Well, he, that servant that, you know, sort of starts to abuse his power, he's going to be considered unfaithful and he's going to receive the reward of the unfaithful. Now, uh, in the big picture, uh, I'm not sure how far we should push this. You might think in terms of Gehenna, uh, or you may even go further. You might think in terms of eternal death or whatever, but whatever. Before that happens, he's going to get cut to pieces. And okay, some scholars, they think this is literal because it wasn't entirely unheard of in this time. Now, to be fair, it was in other cultures but at this time period, it was kind of a thing. Uh, but others suggest that, you know, this is just sort of a dramatic way of saying that he was going to be scourged. Because when you when you whip somebody, the, you know, the cords have little, I don't know, like, call it like glass or rocks or something sharp in them. So it tore up the skin. And so that's another way of saying cut to pieces. And so... My my reading, my you know, where did I come down on all this? It, it, I think the latter seems more likely. I think he's talking about a scourging, uh, a, a cutting of the flesh, you know, with the whipping or whatever, which, you know, you totally recover from. But either way, you should totally get the point, right? It's, it's, it's going to be a very unhappy moment. And so, I don't know, you kind of get the idea that maybe the early par- earlier parables they they were more for like everyone the crowd if you want to think of it that way but this latest parable this one because it refers to managers or leadership or something like that maybe it really was aimed more at the apostles and so 
you would then, you know, kind of carry that forward and say, well, anyone taking the position of a leader in the assembly, in the believers, whether you think of that as pastors of churches or whoever else it might be. Now, you know, Paul the Apostle, you might think of him listing out apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. You know what? That's a good list, but it's not an exhaustive list. Paul never meant for it to be, but those are good examples, and they'll give you the idea, anyone who's in a position of leadership in the assembly. And so this parable, I don't know, I think Jesus is kind of presenting it as a as a calling, a summons for those you know, who then is the faithful and wise manager? And the question was directly for the apostles, but it could also be for you. Is it you? Could you be that faithful faithful and wise manager, or are you going to be the loser who abuses power? It's a decision that should be entered into soberly with great self-reflection, with humility. It isn't for everyone. You may think you want to do it. You may think you're built for it, but maybe you're not. Be careful before you try to enter a role like that. And I have to say it, Samuel, it reminds reminds me of, this is our modern day example, American Idol. And I'm just going to say, I haven't seen the show very much. I've seen a few YouTube clips about it, right? That's how I know about it. But I've seen the ones where you get those singers. And I mean, it is so easy to recognize they're horrible. There is no possible way they have any business being on American Idol. It's They're just there to be laughed at, which I think is cruel and wrong. But nonetheless, you know what I'm talking about. They're horrible. But here's the issue. They don't know it. They think they're awesome. And they cannot understand why other people aren't seeing it. Well, it's, it's the same way for people who want to lead others, who want to be in a position of leadership, whatever that might be. They think they've got it going on but they really don't. And they can't see it, but everyone else can. And so, again, be sober. Look within yourself. Be humble. Try to see what maybe you currently are unable to see. Take leadership within the assembly very seriously. And I don't know, I just think it's an important message and Jesus is laying it on his apostles and we need to lay it on ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Um and kind of in the same vein, I, I hope this adds to the picture that we've been developing in this section. Um, you know how a lot of times, in at least in the Western church, this idea of being, quote-unquote, prepared for the day of the Lord to come, I often get these feelings like people kind of treat it in the same light as oh, telling a kid, like, you better be a good boy this year or you're going to be on Santa's naughty list or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or you like you need to be good so you're on the nice list. Um, I just can't help but feel that, like, some people treat it that way. And yeah. one of the things that I have tried to do to make it feel more tangible and tactile is, so 
if this is going to seem like we're going way off in left field, but I promise I'm heading in <laughs> the same direction. If we go back to the story of the binding of Isaac when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son and God gets to the point where he provides that ram to take his place, well, in, you could say, Midrash or rabbinic thought, the ram had two horns and God told Abraham to like cut the first horn that was used like in the festival or the, the the developing of the festival of Rosh Hashanah where the where they blow the shafars and everything. That's like the establishment of that. Right. And but there's no mention really of there's like a mystery of like what happened to the second horn. Well, rabbis have pictured that that second horn is being saved for the day when um the the kingdom is literally established on the earth when messiah returns a second time and part of me wants to say that maybe elijah is connected with blowing it but sometimes just randomly throughout my days like i'll have this thought come in my brain like i'm just going about doing life whether it's driving or working oh and then sometimes thinking like if i'm doing something like stupid and i'm not living up to my potential and i'm thinking like what if this is the moment where literally like you hear the most <laughs> haunting horn like blowing like a- across the entire earth and it almost feels like the sky is splitting in two uh and th- and that's the moment that Jesus is kind of like trying to focus on on being prepared um, <laughs> yeah. it 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 just it's a real humbling picture um and like even in this section, like if we go back to the text in verse forty-five, like the the flippant nature that this uh, servant has, where he says, "My master is delayed in coming." I think that it, for us in our Western culture, and maybe even the entire human society since the ascension, we, we, it's been so long since that day where there's been this calling of hope and readiness for the return that we've I almost feel like we live like that we almost get to this point in our psychology where we think that it's actually not going to happen but yeah. keeping that picture in your mind that you know you you don't really know and today tomorrow next month could be the day that that horn blows and then that's the point where it's like well whatever you have on your plate right now with your life that's what you're giving an account of it just it brings yeah. it into perspective for me. So I I don't do it perfectly, but I'm just saying it pops in my mind and I need to practice that image more. Yeah, that is a great example, Samuel. And all of us need to find that little thing that helps us. And it, it again, it reminds me of that phrase, the world calls us to slumber. So good. And uh, another thing that popped in my head is, you know, in this being ready, being prepared, it could be any day. I also think that it is very distinct and separate from people predicting God's coming back. We are in the end time. We are the You know what? Every single day the person who says that is closer to being right than the last guy that said it. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But in the end, you don't know. So quit saying it and just live prepared. Don't try to predict it. Just be ready for it. It's good stuff. Well, you know, uh, I think in terms of 
the narrative, the the story that's going on, uh, it's actually going to continue along the same theme, at least for a short bit. But we're we're going to stop because we're out of time. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can check us out on our website at www.okidokimos.com. Feel free to send us any questions or comments you may have at our email address, okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray and we hope that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.